right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. <laughs> From the Kissing Cousin Center in beautiful downtown Auburn, California. It's the Cityscape Magazine podcast. What's going on? All right. A black Southern woman struggles to find her identity after suffering abuse from her father and others over four decades. I give you the color purple. Directed by Steven Spielberg. Came out in 1985. Score is done by... Quincy Jones, one of the rare films where John Williams did not do the score for a Steven Spielberg picture. But this, uh, I believe that this uh, picture was brought to Spielberg from Quincy Jones because Jones wanted him to direct it. I think it was so it would get more mainstream noticed. And it is based off the book of the same name by Alice Walker from 1982. Okay. I don't know why, but I have probably because of the or the the possible subject matter. I have put off watching this movie pretty much my entire life, and even though the the the, the actual color of purple is my, one of my favorite colors, still didn't really want to see this movie. But I do remember that my mother liked it, and I remember I only remember one scene from the entire film, and it was a scene where Whoopi's Whoopi Goldberg's character Seely spits into this glass of water and gives it to this guy. Now, when I was a kid, I thought it was a white man who owned the house or something. And he was just coming there to, you know, put, put foots on, on throats kind of thing. Right. But no, it's actually the father of Danny Glover's character. And he's just an asshole. And you see how Danny Glover, his character has become based off of how his father has treated him. Right. So, all right. But it's weird. When you see something with young eyes, it's always different. Then you look back on like, why did I see it that way when it isn't that way at all, right? So whatever. I've been putting off this movie for a very long time. And I even bought it for my mom on DVD soon before she died. And then I inherited it, I inherited it after she passed. So it's been sitting on my shelf. Well, I'm going through movies last night on Hulu. And the color purple's there. Even though I still have it on my DVD shelf. <laughs> still haven't put it in. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll watch it in HD. So I put the movie on. I don't know anything about it. I thought it was about slavery. I like said during slave times, and it's not. It's set. It starts off in early like 19, 1909 in Georgia, and it all centers around the Seely character, who is eventually played by Whoopi Goldberg when she's in her twenties. But before that, she's played by a younger actress. And this movie is odd to me. It is. It takes serious subject matter and it kind of lightens it in certain parts. It lightens it with the music. It lightens it with the music and it lightens it with certain comedic moments that happen in the film. Goofy comedic moments. And this is one of those films where I actually wanted insight on this while I was watching it and after I was done watching it. Like I, I looked up reviews for it after I was done watching it. And I've, I, I've, I've read both sides of the, of the, of the praise and the hatred that Steven Spielberg has received for this film. And I understand both sides because it's weird. Like there's things that are left out of the book. There's a lesbian subplot that's left out of the book with Whoopi Goldberg's character that in the movie is only a kiss and it's a very short kiss and it's not very, not too intimately done, which understandably it's 1985 
most mainstream audiences don't want to see that stuff on the screen that we know of. It would have hurt sales, blah, 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 blah. And Spielberg himself, he has even said that he regrets not delving deeper with those with the with this with the lesbian subplot that was so important in the book. But I read about the book. And the book is like from reading the 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 summary of the book, which is I don't know, a good four or five or more about ten paragraphs breaks down the book. The 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 story and the movie go very similar. There's not very many deviations, it seems, in the actual storytelling, but or the actual plot itself, but it's just how it's done. The way the book goes, it seems like, and this is, like I said, I'm just basing this off of the summary. It seems like every male character in the film is toxic, or in the book is toxic. They are, they are a, a, a product of slavery, of oppression, of sexism, and all these things. And so they treat women horribly. And it's understandable, because if you hear about certain things from certain areas and things like that, okay, I get it. But it seems like every male character in the book was just it, almost like a I hate men kind of thing. Or men are just monsters there to just subjugate women. And that's the only purpose that they serve in the book. And so it's just dealing with women oppression and women being oppressed and, and trying to find a way through all this. But it's like muckety muck. And and there's no like there's only little moments of, of warmth and, and hope and things like that. But most of the time they're just constantly beaten down and it's just, it's a very sad sounding book. So then you come to the movie, the movie handles most of those things. There's the mention of, of incest, of, of pedophilia, because you have grown men who are like in their thirties up to like fifties making babies with, with girls that are 12, 14 years old. And it just seems very, very inappropriate. Now, I know that there's also time context and things like that, but it's still just you have a grown man who keeps hitting and chasing on a little girl, and it, it's very uncomfortable, but the movie does it in certain ways that it's very weird. Like, sometimes there's playful music playing or or the colors are really bright, and, 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 and it just, it, it's a contrast to it. Like, I'm, I'm trying to understand what the conveyance is when the, when these when these atrocious things are happening and it's odd it's kind of hard to just fully understand it and i think that maybe spielberg was trying to lighten the mood even though still telling what Whoopi goldberg's character is going through where she's already had two children by her father who she finds out later in the movie that it was actually her stepfather but still regardless it doesn't matter stepfather or regular father he raped her and she had two kids and he took the kids away and sold them and She's just there as a slave to just pretty much do whatever he wants and take care of all of his sexual needs, blah, blah, blah. Her sister, who is more attractive than her, who is two years younger, gets taken, um, you know, is also being groomed to start being used like, like that by the father as well. And Danny's Glover's character, who lives in town, who's a, who's a widow, he comes in and he, he takes a liking to Nettie, which is the 12-year-old sister. And he comes to the father to ask for her hand to marry her. A 12-year-old girl, by the way, and and Danny Glover's character, he looks like he's got to be at least in his you know, 30s. And the father's like, no, Nettie's not going anywhere. You can have my other daughter, Celie. She's already, you know, she's tainted. The goods are tainted kind of thing. But she's a good maid, be a good mammy for you and all this stuff like that. 
So Danny Glover reluctantly takes her. And so Whoopi Goldberg goes and lives with, with Danny Glover's character. And she becomes pretty much his, his servant. And he has a shitload of kids who are all just assholes. Right when she shows up, they call her ugly and they throw a rock at her head, you know, abusing her. She gets, you know, she ever talks back to Danny Glover. He smacks her and, and he just, and he, you know, he rapes her on the first night or she lays there and lets him do his business. I mean, if you want to call it that, whatever, whatever, It, it just, it's, it's unsavory either way, whatever you want to call it. And the whole time he's attracted to this woman who is like a, she's like a traveling burlesque dancer. And he's got pictures of her around the house. He's always talking about, oh, I'm going to go get my true love and bring her back here and blah, blah, blah. So Celie's character's got to live with this. And she adjusts to things. And it's weird because throughout the, this movie covers like 40 years of her life. And so it, there's a lot of time jumping. Because even though the movie's two and a half hours long, there's a lot of gaps which I'm, I wonder if the, if the book covers a little bit better, but whatever. You, you can only do so much in that time period or in that, that, that amount of time to tell the story. But it's, it's just weird to see someone suffering through all this stuff, but yet she smiles a lot. She finds ways to enjoy life in certain ways. And one of the things I got to praise about this movie uh, is the makeup. The makeup on Oprah, or not Oprah, on... Um, on Whoopi Goldberg's character from when she's a teenager and when she's like late teens to early twenties from then on to when she's an old woman, like in her, or she's made to seem like she's old when she's like in her fifties is amazing. Like there, I mean, when she's plays a little kid or when she plays a young woman, she looks like a young woman. When they have her playing old, she actually looks like she's old. It, it, It works really well. She knows how to act it perfectly. And this is her first starring role. Actually her first movie she was ever in. from what I understand. So the fact that she just nails all of these things, every time period, you can see she has a different stature, a different attitude in a way. She's changed as her character progresses in age through, you know, the, the abuse and everything else. Her character is worn and beaten down. Now the makeup for Oprah is different to me. Oprah looks the same throughout the whole damn movie, except for they give her gray hair and, there's a part where she gets beaten up by by cops and she gets hit in the eye with a gun, a, the butt of a gun because she talks back to a, or she, she lays out the mayor of the town who happens of course to be white and, and she goes blind in one eye. And so her eye gets messed up. Other than that, she looks exactly the same for the rest of the movie except for that. And so I didn't think the makeup was that good because she's still, even though she's supposed to be like in her fifties or whatever, by the end of the film, she still looks like a 20 year old woman but with gray hair, it, it didn't, didn't really work that well. But there, the, the, the odd part about this movie is, is that the acting is so excellent and the characters pull you in. Now, from what I read about, like some of the complaints about the movie is that the characters come off as stereotypical in ways where like, oh, when black people are all together, they're just dancing and jiving and singing and hooping and hobbing and all this shit. And and okay, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, maybe it's just badly portrayed in a way or something. I don't know. I, I, cause there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of white oppression in the movie. It seems to be almost like everything they're going through in this town is secluded in a way where there's barely any white influence, even though it's there in certain moments where it's mentioned, but it's barely mentioned. Then the mayor thing is, is a small part of the movie. So it's odd because it doesn't seem like there's as much white influence on 
these people as you think that there would be if this was a, being a, a, an actual historical tale. I don't know though. So it's just weird because the movie almost feels like it's, it's out of place, you know, based off of whatever you've read or heard or, or seen in other films and stuff like that. You know, if you've seen Rosewood or things like that, you know, so it's odd. Another thing that's odd is like, there's a character named Harpo who's played by an actor who he played the mayor of Detroit in Robocop part two. He's got a very distinguishable face and he plays Danny Glover's son and his name's Harpo, which is funny because his Harpo spelled backwards is Oprah, which is also the name of her production company. Well, her character marries that guy in the movie and his character is used for comedic relief a lot. Like every time he's working on the roof of a house, he just starts fall. He falls through it, you know, and it's supposed to be funny and it is funny. And there's little moments in the movie that are funny, but it just, it takes away from the seriousness of the film. Like some movies you need moments of, of, uh, is it brevity or levity or whatever, where, where it breaks up the, the, the horrors of what's going on for a little laugh to lighten things up. That works in some movies, but in the color purple, it doesn't seem to work for me that well because it's like I said it's an odd contrast to it but I'm wondering if maybe it was done in a way so it was trying to show the continual optimism of Nisi's or um, or Seeley's character and to maybe because she always had hope that she was going to see her sister again and get away from Danny Glover's character who's a piece of shit and and life would get better. I, I'm wondering if that was supposed to be symbolic of that. or I don't know. But I'll tell you what. By the time the movie ends, I felt something. And there was a, there was a, a um, not the word appreciate. There was a, I felt like a, just a, uh, a closeness to the characters. Especially Whoopi Goldberg's character, Celie. When it all ends, like she finally gets some chunk of happiness at the end of the film. And I felt for her. So... Because of her performance, because of how well the movie is put together as, as you know, directed. It's directed very, very competently. Like, like you know that a professional made this movie. It's just, I have those, those, those holdback problems with it. But regardless, I, I'm actually, you know what? I think I'm at the right age now to appreciate the color purple for what it is. See its problems for what they are. And because and, I don't think I would have been able to notice those things when I was younger. I probably wouldn't even have cared. I just would have been like, oh, well, yeah, they're just, he's laying on top of her and must suck to be black back then. Okay, that's it. Moving on. But now I understand the, the, the storytelling better and all those things. And so Color Purple is a, is a good movie. I'm glad I finally saw it. I don't know if I ever want to see it again because it, it just it feels very downing at times. Very soul-sucking. Like, why, well, like people putting up the things they put up with for, for decades you know, suffering like that. It's just, damn. Anyway, that's all I got to say about Color Purple before I, you know, ramble on about anything else. <laughs> I didn't think I'd have 16 minutes of stuff to say about that film. You get on a roll, man, and you keep going. It's not a bad thing, I'm just saying. Have you ever seen that movie? No. No, I have not. Okay. Um, it, that's a movie that, again, I mean, it had cultural impact, yeah. huge culture. It still does have cultural impact. But when it came out at the time, it was fucking massive. Mm. You know, everybody talked about how great Oprah was and it. Not too much about Whoopi, but although she was good, but they were always, yeah. the conversation always steered around how great Oprah's um, acting 
was in that movie. The three main women in that film were nominated for Oscars for that. Yeah. It was nominated for 11 Oscars and did not win a single one. Yeah, and that's... I can't remember what other movies came out that year that were um, nominated, you know, for the same thing. But, well, (laughs) so 1985. So, The Times of Harvey Milk, Best Documentary. Up was a live-action short, Purple Rain, one for Best Original Musical, Original Score, Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom, figures. Best Visual Effects, The Stone Carvers. Oh, yeah, there we go. The big one. Places in the Heart. Amadeus. James Stewart won the honorary. Let's see. Yeah, Places in the Heart pretty much just ruled the whole thing. Dangerous Moves was international. The Killing Fields, Best Cinematography. Um, Best Supporting Actor of the Killing Fields. Best Original Score, Prince. Sally Field for Places in the Heart. So there you go. Hmm. Amadeus and Places in the Heart pretty much took over for that Academy Awards in particular. Um, wait, um, Milos oh, Foreman. Here, wait, look at Best Picture. Scroll the whole Best Picture category. Uh, Not there. Maybe it was 86. Yeah, so that, I think that that's covering nineteen, the year 1986. So because, uh, yeah, Amadeus. So, so Yeah, so try the 56th. Uh, 58th. Yeah, there it is. The Color Purple, Lost to Out of Africa. Okay. Sydney Pollock. I need to see Kiss of the Spider Woman. The uh, So Out of Africa, Kiss of the Spider Woman, The Trip Bountiful. Forgot about that movie. I Princey's saw, Honor. I saw Out of Africa. It's a boring movie. Cocoon. Uh, Witness. The Official Story. Broken Rainbow. Let's see. Yeah. Back to the Future for Sound Effects. Say You Say Me. Lionel Richie. Wow. Out of Africa. Mask. That has to be... Yeah, yeah, it's the one with um with the the George Mc, or Marty Mc, the original Marty McFly. <laughs> Best makeup, Remo Williams. That's funny. Well, mask one, but I mean, it was nominated. Cocoon again, and then Paul Newman won, got an honorary. Yeah, Raul Julia, I believe, was nominated for Kiss of the Spider Woman for Best Supporting Actor. No, Don Amici won for Cocoon. Well, there's something Raul Julia got nominated for. I mean, I guess it wasn't Kiss of the Spider Woman. I've never seen Preeti's Honor. It's in a mob movie. Uh, I think it had yeah, Jack Nicholson. It's a comedy crime, essentially. Robert Loja. L. <laughs> R as in Robert Loja. O as in, oh my God, is Robert Loja. B as in <laughs> space. <laughs> By God, it's Robert Loja. E, everybody look. It's Robert Loja. R as in Robert Loja. T as in there goes Robert Loja. As in shut the fuck up about Robert Loja. Space. Uh, yeah, so and there, there's your there's your answer right there. It was nominated but not uh did not win. Dude was uh was Doc Brown nominated for best supporting actor? No. Klaus Maria Brandor out of Africa. William Hickey, Prissy's Honor, Robert Loja, and Eric Roberts. There was a time when Eric Roberts was taken seriously as an actor. Well, he's still taken seriously as an actor when he's not on screen. <laughs> Look at Don Amici. Don Amici looks like he's having the fucking time of his life. Like that that picture with him smiling yeah. is like you if you fucking had any clue of what's going on right now, that's that picture right there. Because you would never believe me. 
Okay. There was a video game that came out years ago that was one of the first polygon, real polygon style 3D games. Like Virtual Fighter? Like Virtual Fighter, but it was called Tekken. And I spent hours playing that and fucking Soul Calibur, and I hate Tekken. I hated that goddamn game. Then why'd you play hours on it? Because video all, games. Is that all you had? <laughs> so there were these things in the past called bowling alleys and arcades. And you could go to these places and put quarters into these machines, which would give you hours upon hours of entertainment. What are these quarters you speak of? And everybody knows what a quarter is. They just don't know what these are. And you could play... I use Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to punch you just for saying Bitcoin. <laughs> no, that's why. I use Bitcoin. <laughs> it's not even a tangible object that I still use it. You should have said I used fucking Canadian quarters. No, it's just Bitcoin because that's like what millennials would say now. They would just... I don't use cash. Who uses cash? You got herpes? Why do you, why do you not use that? Everything's digital. Bitcoin's the new currency. <laughs> Go. <laughs> Anyways, that was a funny rant. Bitcoin's digital. And then there's the anime that came out. And if you've ever watched like Double Dragon anime or Street Fighter or this and that. Anyways, Tekken is one of those franchises that has, seems to have been around forever and has never properly gotten its due. Mainly because nobody takes it seriously. Very much like Street Fighter. Very much like Mortal Kombat. Very much like any of the other series or games that have turned into animes or mangas that have turned into live action. In 2009, Dwight Little decided that he was going to direct a movie called Tekken which is distributed by Warner Brothers in Anchor Bay. It was written by Alan B. McElroy's based on the fighting game series of the same name. I think we've already established that. Alan McElroy is best known for his collaborations with Todd McFarlane on the Spawn franchise, as well as the magnificent return of Michael Myers and Wrong Turn. I think Wrong Turn was actually not that bad of a movie, but we're not here to talk about that. I think Wrong Turn was okay. It's like rednecks, hillbilly, murderous rednecks chasing, je chasing Jessica Biel through a forest with her nipples erect. The story follows Jin Kazama in his attempts to outrun Allie McBeal and her nipples. Did you say Jessica Biel? Yes. I know. Jessica Biel and her nipples and enter the Iron Fist tournament in order to avenge his, the loss of his mother. In a tank top. Jun Kazama, who was not in a tank top, mm. by confronting his father, Kazuya Mishima and his grandfather, God Hechachi Mishima. Hechachi is a reservoir. Hechachi is a fictional character um, from Tekken. He's the main character. He's the, he's the boss of the game and is the leader of a military firm known as the Mishima Zaibatsu. It stars John Fu, Kelly Overton, Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa, who is one of our favorite Mortal actors. Kombat. And he plays Hechachi. Uh, uh, Ian. Ian or Ian, depending on how you, uh, where you come from and, and uh, how millennial you are. Uh, Kung Lee, Darren DeWitt Hansen, or Henson, Luke Goss, Marion Zabiko, Latif Crowder, Candace Hillebrand, Anton Kasabov, 
and Roger Huerta. Let me just say that I could not finish this movie. That bad, huh? It wasn't great. It had, it's, it's like Blade Runner meets Attack of the Clones. All right. And by saying that, I mean, it's Blade Runner with the Attack of the Clones Coliseum fight. Okay. Okay. It's, um, remember, uh, was it, was the TV series called Angel? Where it was post-apocalyptic, and it, it's... Uh, I know what you're talking about. It had... Um, it was black something. Um, it was the one with uh, Jessica Alba. Yes. By James Cameron. Yes. Yeah. Which is essentially Battle Angel. Dark, was it Dark Angel or... Yes, Dark Angel. Yeah. So uh, take Dark Angel with Blade Runner and the Attack of the Clones Coliseum thing and kind of throw it all together. And that's this kind of movie. It's apocalyptic bullshit. It's very hard to get things uh, like fruits and vegetables, coffee. Everything's really expensive because... Good, good story writing. Yeah, exactly. In the late 2010s, after the terror war has destroyed much of civilization, eight mega corporations have survived and divided up the world around them. The biggest being Tekken which controls North America in order to placate the masses. The corporation's chairman, Hachachi Mishima, sponsors the King of Iron Fist tournament of, or Iron Fist, in which fighters from the eight corporations battle until one is left standing and receives a lifetime of stardom and wealth. In contrast to the rich and lush Tekken City, there is a slum area surrounding it referred to as the Anvil. Sounds like the Hunger Games. Yeah. And it's, but they don't pull, pick and pull. You can, you choose to enter the, the arena. Yeah. So they're not, you know, grabbing people from different states and whatever else. Well, they, they may be, but in this sense, when we're, when we're watching the movie, we are following the main character, Jin Kazama, and he's been raised by his mother. He's trained him in martial arts. He's been a, um, mentor. Yeah. She's, he's rebellious. He's, He's a contraband runner who lives in the anvil. Uh, he gets into fights, cooperates with the resistant groups to earn money to provide fruit, food. Um, one night, Jin is targeted by the Jackhammers, who is an elite specs group that patrols the anvil and ensures the safety of Tekken City for cooperating with the resistance groups. He tries to return to his home, only to find his mother has been killed by the Jackhammers bombarding the house. And, of course, there is the whole Star Wars thing involved with this, which is Hetch Hachi is his dad. Bum, 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 bum. The sins of the father. So Jin, who has, uh, who had recently, right before that, um, was doing some stuff for the resistance, ends up at a bar, passes off the information that they needed, and picks up coffee, fruit, chocolate. It's they're very expensive, and that's when the commercial comes on for the tech for the tech and fight or uh, uh, championship iron fist fight. Yeah. And people go, well, you're really good at this. So why don't you do that fight? He's like, I'm not in it for the money. Like everybody's in it for the money. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I have more, more, I have better morals than everybody else. I do this for honor. Yes. I'd rather have honor with a fucking big house than a honor with a, <sighs> living in, in a cardboard box. Yeah. So, he refuses to, then his mom dies. Of course, he jumps into it. Of course, I didn't watch the rest of it. That's about as far as I got. Mom <laughs> died. I'm like, fuck this goddamn movie. I can't watch it. And the reason why I can't watch it is that right there. The budget was $30 million. It made $1.7 million. And the reason why I couldn't watch it was a scene where you see uh, Carrie Takago, 
Taka, Taga, Just say Shang Tsung. Yeah, Shang Tsung. Carrie Tagawa. And uh, the guy that plays his son, which is... Uh, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> so you have... Um, yeah, Ian Anthony Dale. So Ian Ian Anthony Dale plays uh, uh, Kazuya Mishima, who is Hachachi's son. And the interaction between the two is just, it's so boring. The writing is bad. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, Hachachi, who is the father figure, who is, you know, demanding and, and bullying and this and that. You, go, you will do it my way or I will kick your ass. Yeah. And then you get the, then he turns and walks away while the son looks at him with his evil look and I am going to rule this corporation when you are gone and I'm going to make sure you are gone soon. <laughs> you know, that's that look. And I was just like, I, I can't, I can't deal with this because it's not interesting. Yeah. And I'm finding myself going back and watching older movies and they're more interesting to watch any older movie. It doesn't matter what year it's from. Anything prior to 1990 is where I'm going back and watching these movies. And I'm finding them infinitely more interesting. Like I did a review for Alan Quarterman and Lost City of Gold. It's a terrible fucking movie. But I had infinitely more fun watching that movie than watching Tekken. Mm-hmm. Because watching Tekken does not do anything for me. It's, it's, not, it's not interesting. It's the best way I can explain it. It's not... It even, does, though, even though the premise is interesting. Even though the premise is interesting. Well, sort of. I mean, everybody wants to inject the moral, the moral story. The I'm better than you because I have more morals than you. You're just an evil corporation. But uh, who gives a shit, you know? I want to watch a movie that when... I, I want to be... First, I want to be entertained. Secondly... I want to I want the story to flow so that when when everything is going within the story I enjoy it. I enjoy the actual story, the dialogue, this and that. And I I'll bring up Raiders of the Lost Ark. When I'm watching Raiders of the Lost Ark, the first time I fucking saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, I was glued. I we went and saw it at a at a drive-in and playing with Raiders of the Lost Ark at the drive-in. I think it was Airplane 2 or at least Airplane, uh Heavy Metal if I can remember that 100% and a bunch of other movies. And I was, I was drawn to heavy metal because of the, because it's animated and that was fine. But as soon as he went into the temple and got pulled and got in the boulder, started chasing him. Yeah. I was pulled into that movie. So we're watching Raiders of the Lost Ark. The dialogue works. The scenes all run together very smoothly yep. and point A to point B. And it's, it's fun to watch. It's a fun movie to watch. Why? Why is it a fun movie to watch? First and foremost, the acting. When Indy goes to Nepal and the first thing that she does is go Indiana Jones and punches him in the goddamn face. Mm-hmm. The bar fight scene, the, the, the travel to Cairo where he meets Sala. And then the whole thing that happens in the, the fight scene with, you know, at the plane and then them escaping. The movie goes so fast. You, when two hours is up, you don't even realize two hours is up. That's the mark of a good movie. Jurassic Park, same thing. Terminator, Terminator 2. It doesn't feel like it's a chore to press play. Yeah. You just throw it on and let it happen. It doesn't matter how many times you've seen these movies. You love them. 
and we're getting into October, so now it's becoming, you know, Halloween month and whatnot. And all the bad, good movies are coming out. All the all the fucking Friday the 13th and the Halloweens and this and that. Yeah. And this is not a movie. I mean, this movie could have stood the test of time if they had taken the time instead of green screening everything and making it Blade Runner like and this and that. And, and and doing the same tropes, which is, oh, the mother got killed. We all knew that was going to happen. Oh, the dad's Hachachi. Oh, okay, fucking Empire Strikes Back. Big deal. Whoopie shit. That's the problem with this movie 100%, is that they're just trying to jump on the train of making a movie out of a popular series that should have never been made. And I feel the same way about Mortal Kombat. You know, Joe loves Mortal Kombat. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of the franchise. I'm not a big fan of the game. It's fun. It, it is a fun game to play. I like early early Mortal Kombat. Not this. Uh, uh, they they've gone overboard. Well, I know, but I'm talking about the movie and the game. Mm-hmm. The, the not the new game, the original. I'm not game. even a fan of part three very much of the game. And and it just doesn't hold interest for me. Mm. And there's a reason why it doesn't hold interest for me is because when Mortal Kombat came out. It was just another of these other video games that were the fighter games, right? Yeah. Now it has its place in history. It's it's a fun game to play. Yeah, I not like, my I like cup the, of tea. the mythology of it. It's cool. You know, same with with Street Fighter, Super Street Fighter, Double Dragon. Uh, it, that's not my my style. I love Soul Calibur. I'm a Soul Calibur guy. I mm-hmm. love that game, and that's that's my style. Yeah, and I appreciate the other games that are in that genre. Did you ever play Darkstalkers? Yes. And I actually, I like that game too. The animation's really cool on that. Yeah, but it's still, again, not my cup of tea. If you get the arcade one-up uh, table, the sit-down table, with, uh, with uh, that's the Capcom one. Yeah. It's got all the Street Fighters on it, including the original Street Fighter game. And it has all the Final, final, final Fight Cabinet games that I've got. And it has Darkstalkers on it as well. Okay. And that yeah, if that gets cheap enough, maybe, <laughs> uh, maybe. But again, when when you're talking about video games where you're the fighting video games, Tekken doesn't come up much anymore. No, and that's a shame because that was actually a really good game. And then they came out with the a revamp of of the original with better graphics and stuff like that, and it looked amazing. Yeah. But the problem is, is again, you're taking a you're taking a series. And you're trying to make a, a movie out of the series, and then you come up with it's boring. The reason why it made a million dollars at the box office and nobody wants to see this movie is, and it's on Tubi. <laughs> there's a reason for that because I'm surprised it wasn't directed by Yui Bull. I'm I'm surprised about that as well. I mean, the direction is really not bad. I mean, it 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 flows relatively well. That's probably why it, may, it actually made a billion or a million instead of just I don't know. 200,000 or less. (laughs) But the problem is, is you have a boring story. You have the same story that happens with every goddamn movie just like this. You can cut through. You don't need, you don't need the the mom dying. You don't need to show the no part, you know, with the rain coming down and him on his knees screaming to heaven. You don't need to have the the personal battle between Hetch Hetchy and his son. We know that's going to happen. Yeah. All of that shit, you don't need to. And you're retreading everything that's happened in the last 20 or 30 years when this fucking video game came out. Yep. You don't need to do that. You don't need to retread. It's the same problem that Sony has with Spider-Man. They make three movies of Spider-Man, 
and then they redo, then they reboot it, and then we have to have our own whole new origin story. All they had to do was give Sam Raimi creative control back. Yep, but we get a we get a whole new origin story, not one, but two origin stories. You know, because they had Amazing Spider-Man one and two, and then we had to deal with the whole origin story again. And then, luckily with Homecoming, they skipped over a lot of shit. They skipped over everything with the origin story. I don't even give a shit about that. You know, then that's great. That's what, but that's what's good about the Homecoming. You know, Spider-Man series. Yeah, I didn't mean to say I don't give a shit about it. I'm, I know what you're talking about. Because um, they were smart enough to realize <laughs> people don't want to see an origin again, not in the span of 15 years. Yeah, for we the don't third need it. time. Yeah, we don't need to see the origin for the third time in fifteen years. How many times do we need to see this? Peter Parker got bit by a fucking spider. Yeah, we get it. Yeah, because oh, you see it a bunch of times in video games and the animation. You know, and anime. You know, animated films, cartoons, and stuff. So yeah. really, don't need that again. Yeah. So and that's what we're getting with Tekken is, you know, you're catering to an audience, Japan mostly, that already knows the story inside and out. Mm. You better bring it. You better bring something much better. And the only way to do that is to go back to the original, find out what made it good, and then follow that. Costumes, everything. If you had done the costumes, if you had at least done the costumes, holy crap, you would have you would have sold. It would have it would have easily doubled its budget. So, it, in a way, it was uh, what did it remind you of the Street Fighter movie? No. Where like some characters didn't even wear their costumes from the car from the from the game. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I thought you were talking about the animated one. Like Dalsim, he wasn't even a fighter; he was just a doctor. He was wearing like I think I think a suit or a, or a lab jacket. Yeah, lab I, mean, well, I mean, you're talking about the one with Raul Julia. Yeah, yeah, with Bison. No, I yeah, mean, I th- it didn't even match that. I mean, at least at least they attempted cheese, you know, in and trying to do the Street Fighter thing you know with chun Li and this and that and the other thing yeah yeah i mean they attempted to use the costumes the same with mortal kombat they they tried to, they did the costumes yeah if they had done this with tekken and then and then teased it with something interesting you know moving beyond the stupid storyline that they did mm-hmm. you know we don't need another fucking post-apocalyptic world we don't need this stop throwing blade runner shit out there or we the, don't care the big bad corporation yeah, everything is Big Bad Corporation and Blade Runner now. Move on. Give us something that we can... Give us a world that has color. Give us a world that has light and 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 fantastic sounds. You know, I'm looking at a Dark Crystal poster right now where it's got oranges and greens and blues and purples and this You're and that. You're talking about the, the depressing uh, dystopia shit. You know, the, like, like Babylon AD. I'm talking about any dystopia. Mad Max, give me something different. I don't. I I, I want to see the world. Mm-hmm. I want to see what they've built with the world. I don't want to see it all fucking clouded over Vaseline fucking you know lens caps. I don't want to see you know darkness and this and that. That's not how it works. You have sunrises and sunsets. You know. No, we no we scorched the sky. We 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 killed Mother Earth. It's gone. It's all gone. We killed Mother Earth. Like that's going to stop the fucking planet from rotating. It's all gone. No, it's not. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> because the sun will never rise again? Well, it's locked out. How? By all of our pollution and, and hatred. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to be angry. It's hard to be fake angry. Fangry. 
No, you're, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, but that's the way they, they want you to think is, oh, pollution, incorporate your baby. That's what's cool about the Last of Us games, like, like, like even the, the second one, when you, when you're in the world, because these cities are overgrown with plants and stuff. So you see the remnants of buildings that have, you know, been abandoned for 30 plus years and the, the foliage and everything just growing through all of these streets and, and buildings and, nature slowly taking back over these cities it looks it looks awesome it's colorful and it's like scary but beautiful at the same time that's that's cool I, stuff i want to see i don't care about your fucking review but yeah if you're seeing constant dark shade I mean, see this this is the iron this is all in the see this right here at night who cares yeah. nobody nobody gives a shit about your dystopian at night bullshit scenes give us you see, they're gonna give you this. any pictures from the actual film or just the game. No, nice top. Yeah, and you know all the see, it's all it's all just stupid gray colors. Look at this black and gray backgrounds. Ugh. More like mechan. It's yeah, mech. <laughs> Blah, mech. Boring. I mean, I can just pull it up on. The, see, look at this. Wow, just dark shaded yakuza. Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? Big white light. I do like the makeup and hairstyling on um, Shang Tsung, though, on Kari Tagawa. Yeah. That looks great. Yeah, he looks like Hachachi. <laughs> I thought that was great, too. But look at this. Okay, Blade Runner. Boring. It's all boring. Yeah. You need more vibrant colors. You need more light. You need to make it more interesting than... <sighs> than what you're giving us. If you want us to if you want us to watch these movies, if you want to sell these movies, you have to move beyond dystopia. And that's really what it comes down to. I can't watch movies like this because it not not because it's depressing, but because they're awful. Yeah. You know. Not even good awful, not even fun to make fun of awful. Yeah, I mean Basket Case <laughs> is fun. <laughs> It's fun off. I love Basket Case, man. The, the part where he's just tearing up the, the room and all the neighbors are just like, what's going on in there? Oh, nothing. He's just screaming. This this, this monster just, <laughs> just destroying the room. Yeah. I mean, even Green Lantern is, is so terrible that it's fun to watch, you know? Yeah, it, it, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's one of those movies that I don't care about, but yet I don't hate it. Yeah. But, I mean, even the... E even see no like like the movie that I had, I had reviewed before which is the man of tai chi like that had like a kind of gray skies and this and that and the other thing but it was done on it was done on purpose because like you still got to go outside yeah you still got to see him fight in these tournaments you still got to see him fight outside of you know this this underworld that he was getting into and then on top of everything else you have a you have a redemption story there. Even Keanu Reeves' character, yeah. you know, is who's just this evil person. Kind of isn't that evil. He just he just is, you know. But again, corporation, right? Yeah. And that seems to be the that's the big sticking point with me is that it always has to be corporation. Here's so look at this. Even the cartoon. See the cartoon or the animated movie? Yeah. You see, they're on a fucking island. Look, I love his hair. <laughs> You know, I mean, why can't they give us that? Why does it always have to be? I think that just some things maybe just shouldn't be made into live action. Some things work better in animated form. Some things. But I mean, if you're going to do live action, why not give us, 
I mean, they're doing it now with the Mandalorian. Yeah. You know, if you can use that technology, you can make, you know, tropical locations. Yeah. Dude, and all that other shit. I didn't realize it. You know the the species that um no. uh, I have spoken that that species. Dog not. I did not realize notice them before, and then I saw Empire Strikes Back recently, and they're they're the ones that almost um, on Cloud City. They're the ones that almost um, burned up C three PO when he was blasted apart. I never noticed them before. Like I never put. I know you got that look on your face, but I don't. I don't. I don't go over the, uh, everything like I'm reading Braille, dude. Okay, like you do. I just didn't. No, never noticed them before, especially like in an apartment, in, in an apartment, in apartment, in an important scene such as you know where Chewbacca goes hunting for for three uh, PO and these little fucking midget dudes are throwing his head around. My my, well, I, I noticed them. I just didn't notice they were the same oh, species, okay. right, right, right. but. Also, yeah, I didn't really care that much because I, I I've never been a fan of C three PO. I was kind of hoping he would just get melted. Uh, <laughs> that's because you're an idiot. No, oh, no, no, oh, you're not an idiot. You're, oh, an, you're oh, what a drag. You're an asshole. That's why. <laughs> Boot to the head. <laughs> no, I, look, I mean, when you're watching the movie, you're not. You're watching the movie for. You know, you, you're not me. You're you're watching the movie for entertainment pur- purposes. You don't understand. It's not that you don't understand. It's just that you don't care about the non-main characters, you know? So when you see the people running through, like the dude that's holding the ice cream maker, or you see, uh, literally, there's a dude that's running when Lando Calrissian says, the Empire has taken over the city. I suggest yeah. you uh, evacuate immediately. Yeah. He, you see this dude running outside with his big round thing. That's a fucking ice cream maker. And they used that in um, The Mandalorian. They rebuilt it. Uh-huh. So when he opens it up and it has the Beskar in it, yeah. in that round container, it's the same exact container that was on, on Cloud City. Attention to detail. Yeah. So I understand what you're getting at when you're watching a movie and those things, those scenes just kind of fly by. And you're yeah. not paying attention to the well, entire yeah. scene. Yeah, because those characters also don't really show up very much at all. Yeah, unless you collect the figures and whatnot. Yeah. But... If you're not paying attention to the scene and, you know, well, 100%, you're not looking for details. That's what I mean by paying attention to the scene. You don't care about the details. You're just watching the movie. And somebody says, hey, did you catch this? And you're like, no. They're like, what do you mean? No, you watch the same goddamn movie. It's like, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to find all the detail. I, I just happen to find detail in the scenes that yeah, I'm interested yeah. no, in. I get it. It's just like how I noticed little Joe's jacket that, that Jimmy Fox was wearing in, in Django Unchained. Yeah. And then, well, see, the reason why I, I like that scene in Empire is because IG-88's in the corner. Yes. You know? He's one of the bounty hunters. Yeah. Yeah. So he's dead or he's just relaxing. I don't know. He's yeah. sleeping as Batman would say. <laughs> so, but uh, going back to another franchise, I w- I, I, you got to stop making movies like this. I mean, I, if they're, if it's a short, I can understand it, but when you're making a movie and you're dedicating time to this movie, you better know what you're doing and you better have a better plan than just showing us some dystopian future. Cause everybody defaults to dystopian future. Now I've been doing it for 10 years. Yeah. It's in 2022 in a dystopian future. Pun unintentional. It's getting very grating. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was interesting with Blade Runner, but that was 40 years ago. And now, 
you you have a whole bunch of other movies that are trying to do this dystopian thing. They're just trying to take after. If you just want, if you don't want to say Blade Runner, but there are very few. Yeah, m- movies. post-apocalyptic in in the, in the description for a movie used to be exciting for me. Yeah, like Mad Max. Yeah, you know, even the first Resident Evils that were coming out. Yeah, like the, the movies. I was like, okay, I'm interested until then. Then I saw the end result. Right, but still, you see, like movies like The Road. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, by Cormac McCarthy. That that was, I mean, sad, but it was still interesting because but now everybody has done it to death. And yeah, it's like superhero movies. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not special anymore. You Even know. though every once in a while there's, there, there are some standouts, but like The Boys Season 2. It, I'm six episodes into it, dude. It's what does that have to do with post-apocalyptic? Superhero stuff. Oh, okay. But yeah, no. Anyone who hasn't seen The Boys yet, it's a nice take on... The superhero genre, and it—it's you know what it reminds me. I'm not going to go into a long review. Don't even re- don't even talk about it. Don't talk about it. Okay, I'm not. I just I you, just I I'm just, not. But I'm going to say something. I about just want to say that, like as with the first three seasons of Preacher, how there was always something that surprised me. Like I can't believe they did that. I can't. That's what the boys does with almost every episode. I can't. Believe, holy shit, they did that. Awesome. That's it. So where are you taking this review to? I don't know, Joe. Where am I taking the review to? Where, where, Since you took it over. Where are you taking it to? <laughs> you got my response. Okay. Where am I taking it to? Uh, I don't know. You'd be a bowman. I wonder how long you practice that, that the blank stare. I don't. Blink too much, though. I do what I need to do. You didn't even get the joke that I put on top of your joke. Sorry, I must have been mistaken. You're not even close. You, you're not. Oh, my God. <laughs> I have to go.